How are y'all doing this morning? Good. I'm glad y'all are here. Let me uh, pray for us and we'll dive in. Jesus, um, this is your word. Um, God, and I pray that you would speak to it in a way that only you can. I pray, um, God, I pray for each of us that you would speak to us today, that we would leave this place more, more encouraged if need be, more convicted if need be, but we would leave this place walking and trusting, walking closer with you and trusting you more than we did when we walked in. Uh, Father, and I pray that only you uh, would do that because you're the only one who can. In Christ's name we pray, amen. All right, <clears throat> so I want to ask you a question. As we dive in today, and, and it's going to require a response from you, all right? I'm going to tell you the question, and then I'm going to tell you what the response is. I want to, the question is, how is your stress level during the holidays, right? So that's the question. The way we're going to respond is I want you to rate yourself on a scale of 1 to 10, right? With 10 being you're about to lose your mind, right? Somebody in first service did a 30. Um, and, and 1 being blissful peace, Right? And so here's the way I want you to show it. I want you to, when I say three, I'm going to go one, two, three, show me. And then when I say show me, I want you to put your fingers up in the air as to where you are. Are you a one or a ten or somewhere in between? She went like this, and I, I thought, I don't know, I thought ten. She told me later, she's like, no, that was 30. I was like, oh, okay, well, good, 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 glad you're here today. All right, so we got it? So, scale of one to ten, where is your stress level? One, two, three, show me. What you got? Sevens, threes, tens. All right, so we, we got we got we got some high numbers. We got some low numbers. Good. Let me let me tell you if you are like above five. Let me let me tell you about some studies that I came across talking about stress level. Right in 2015, there was a study done on an average day. Right, this was an average day. 51 percent of people said that they feel stressed to a level that has a negative impact on them on an average day. I also ran across a study that looked specifically at teenagers and young college students, so high school, young college students. What they did with this test, it was fascinating. They took a, a, an assessment tool that was used in the late 40s and 50s to, to measure anxiety levels and stress levels that would qualify someone to be put in an insane asylum, right? And they gave teenagers and young adults, young college students, the same assessment. And what they found is that on an average day, the teenager that you have living in your home, the young college student that just came back from school, has the same anxiety and stress levels that in the 50s would have gotten them institutionalized on an average day, right? So that's an average day. 51% of people feel stressed to a level that, that harms them. Um, um, high school, college students feel a level that in the 50s would have gotten them institutionalized. Now, Let's talk about the holiday season, right? Let's put that on top of the average day. Another study done showed that 40% of the people during holiday season, between Thanksgiving to New Year's and a little, little bit after, 40% of people feel more stress during that time than they do any other time of the year. 53% of people feel more financial stress during that time than they do any time of the year. When I was talking about this with our worship team before, we always have a meeting before the first service where we kind of go over the service and pray. One of the people on the worship team said, and those are the people that were less stressed enough to actually fill out the questions for these surveys. Like the people that are actually stressed wouldn't take time to answer these questions. Good point, right? So listen, if you said you're feeling stressed this holiday season, I think I can statistically say that you are not alone. 
in the way, in the stress that you feel, right? You aren't the only one. Now, I don't know about you, but when I get stressed, something tends to go right along with it, and it's this. Oftentimes, stress and conflict go hand in hand, don't they? Like, like, like this, they go hand in hand. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands on this one, but have you ever gotten into a big fight with friends or family around the holiday season? Right? Anybody ever do that? You know why? You get in a big fight with those that you love and even those that you kind of like during the holiday season? Because we're all stressed out. That's why. Like statistically proven, we are all stressed more than we typically are. And so what if we could lessen our conflict with others by lessening the stress that we have in our souls and our hearts and us? What if instead of our stress increasing during the holidays, what if it actually went down and stayed down? Anybody want less stress or less conflict in your life this holiday season? Well, God has something to say about it. All right, we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 6 today. We're also going to be in Luke chapter 2, so if you want to put your finger there. Uh, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 3, if you want to go there. I'll actually have that one up on the screen. But, but we're, going to, we're going to cover some ground today. But we're going to start off in Isaiah chapter 9. If you need a Bible, there's one in front of you. It's on page 466 of that Bible. Or you can download the Bible app, and we're under events, and under Fellowship Asheville, you can find us there. In this Christmas series, we're just doing a short three-week series. Series leading up to Christmas, and we're calling it True Story. And the reason we're calling it True Story is because there, we're going to talk about some common issues that we all face during the holiday season. Uh, stress, loneliness, we're going to talk about expectations, and, 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 and what we're going to see with each of those common occurrences during the holiday season is a Christmas promise is what I'm calling it. It's something that's embedded in the truth of the gospel, the truth of the Christmas story that I think uniquely applies to each one of those things that we're going to talk about. For example, last week we talked about loneliness. And the Christmas promise there that we all need to believe is that Emmanuel, that God is with us. And so in the midst of your loneliness, in the midst of grief that you may be experiencing during the holiday season, the Christmas promise was that God is with us. You are never alone. And this week, we're going to talk about stress. And, and we're going to talk about the conflict that that, that that kind of stress produces. And we're going to see in that stress that there is a Christmas promise that God has for us too. Now, before we dive into Isaiah, let me paint the picture of what's going on. Because last week, we did part of Isaiah chapter 8. And if you were here last week or listened on the podcast, it was a history lesson, right? Like, like there were names that we talked about. There was history that we talked about that was unfamiliar ground to all of us. We talked about Ahaz and, and, and a guy named Pekah. We talked about Raisin. And then we talked about a kid who had this glorious name of, of quick to plunder and swift to spoil was his name, right? And that great to sing happy birthday to you too. Well, this week we're going to pick up right after all of that. And, and our prophet Isaiah is looking into the future. Like God is giving him this picture of what the future holds. Now, here's what's confusing for Isaiah. And here's what's confusing for us sometimes when we read prophecy and we read stuff of the, like the book of Isaiah. Is that when God speaks of the future to Isaiah, Isaiah doesn't have the ability to know. Now, is this like the near future? 
Like, is God talking about what's going to happen tomorrow? Is this the faraway future? Is God talking about what's going to happen, like, in 10 years or 15 years? Or is this a future that's so far away, it actually looks like the past that's so far away? That my future is actually the past of this future. And so, so, so this timeline gets all muddled up. And, and I, I can imagine with Isaiah, it was very confusing. Kind of like Caleb, uh, Caleb doing announcements. You don't know if he's talking about this week or next week or what's happening in between the weeks. Like, right? Like that's the way Isaiah felt, right? And, 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 and there's this confusion. And so, so I'd imagine that would be, that would be fairly stressful. But, but what we're going to see in this part of Isaiah is that God is going to show him what's happening in the nation of Israel and what's going to happen in the nation of Israel. That where last week in chapter 8, we saw this civil war between the nation of Israel and Judah, that the nation of Israel was actually divided. This week, we're going to see the nation of Israel, that that civil war has turned into deportation, and the nation of Israel is going to be kicked out of their homeland. And the Jewish people won't be in, in Israel anymore. They've been captured. And and we're going to see what that produces for the nation of Israel. And God's going to show Isaiah not only the future, but he's going to show them what's happening in the heart of the nation. I know I said we're going to start in chapter 9, but I actually want to read to you the last verse of of chapter 8. So if you have your Bibles open, look up a little bit from chapter 9 to chapter 8, verse 22. And it says, And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. And so what, what God is showing Isaiah is that this nation of Israel, that Isaiah is this prophet to, it is going to be in this very dark time in their history. And not only is it going to be dark because, because another government rules over them, because they've been captured and brought into this other nation, it'll be dark because, because of their spiritual darkness. Right, that they 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 will be in a place that's just dark on the outside, and a place that's dark on the inside. But but if you've ever been to like Linville Caverns, right, and you go into this cavern and, and they shut off the lights where you can't even see your fingers in front of you. Have anybody ever been in that dark of a place? Well, what happens when they shine like one flashlight? Boom! It's bright, right? Like, like you hold up a match and all of a sudden you can see where you couldn't see before. Well, just like the nation of Israel, here's what we're going to see. That in the darkest of places, light shines the brightest. And what we're going to see is we're going to see a God who isn't afraid of the dark. We're going to see a God who shines his light into the dark and dispels it. Just like in my life and just like in your life, in our darkest moments, the light of Christ can shine. And when it shines, it shines brightly. So let's look at chapter 9. Okay, so nation of Israel, doom, gloom, anguish, darkness. That's where they were at the end of chapter 8, beginning of chapter 9. But, but, this is Isaiah speaking, there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. Now, the her is the nation of Israel that Isaiah is prophesying about. In this verse, it's referring to the nation of Israel. And, and, and I love the way God communicates here because, because this nation, Isaiah is looking ahead and seeing this darkness and distress. But, but what he's also seeing is that that darkness and distress will come to an end. But notice the verb tense that God uses, that Isaiah uses through God. It says, 
There will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. Notice the verb tense that God uses here. He uses a past tense verb to describe this future darkness and anguish that's coming to the nation of Israel. You see, Isaiah is seeing into the future. It's this very near and even present future, but, but God is saying it's actually in the past to him. Isn't that confusing? Like, imagine being Isaiah, all right, grappling with this. Because let me, let me paint the picture here. Isaiah is this prophet, and so, so people knew that he was the prophet. And so, so what that means is that they trusted him to speak the words of God to them. And a prophet would, would stand in front of a congregation, would stand in front of a people, and a prophet would say, thus says the Lord, because their job was to hear from the Lord and speak to the people. And oftentimes they would speak words of encouragement. Oftentimes they would speak words of conviction. And sometimes, like Isaiah, they would speak to the future. And here he's speaking of Israel's current reality. There is doom and gloom, and that that doom and gloom will continue. But there will be a time where that doom and gloom is over. That Israel will be captured, and they will be forced out of their homeland. And Isaiah is saying that doom and gloom, even that spiritual darkness that comes along with it, that gloom will be gone for her, for the nation of Israel, who's in anguish. And so Isaiah is saying, listen, nation, there is a stress in your future that is coming. But God is saying that this coming stress, this coming darkness, this this future stress to God, that stress is already in his past. It has already been dealt with. That what God is going to do with that stress has already been dealt with. And so here's what we have to remember when dealing with stress in conflict, it's just this, that God has already dealt with the stress of your today and the stress of your tomorrow. That in God's economy, in God's view, what is stressing you today and what will stress you tomorrow, God has already dealt with. And so let me ask you, what is stressing you out today? What caused you to do anything above a one? What caused you to step out of blissful peace towards lose your mind stress? What stresses you this holiday season? Y'all, here's what we need to understand. God has already dealt with that stress. That the stresses of your day, of your future, they're not on God's to-do list. Right? They're on his done list. It's already been done. And so let me ask you, does that give you some peace? Does that bring that number down from 10 closer to 1? If not, that's okay. I'm going to show you how that happened. I'm going to show you how God dealt with that. So let's see how God did this. Hop down to verse 2. And so, so now he's, he's, he's talking about the nation of Israel, and he's talking about the future. In verse 2, it says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep, deep darkness, on them a light has shone. And so, so who's Isaiah talking to now? Talking to the nation of Israel, Right? They're in darkness, and he's, he's looking to the future, and they're walking in darkness. And, and, and God's jumping time, and he's showing them, on them a light has shined. Now let's keep reading to find out more about this light, because Isaiah is going to speak to it. Verse 3, you have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you, as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. 
For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder and the rod, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. Every, for every boot of, of the, tramp, the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be used as fuel for fire. So what Isaiah is saying is that, listen, this nation that is in darkness and gloom and, and this day, nation that is overpowered by this, this foreign government, on that nation, in the midst of their darkness, a light is going to shine. And what that light is going to do is it's going to bring something in its wake that wasn't there before. That where there was slavery, there will be freedom. And where there is this warrior's armor and these heavy boots to trample on the enemy, all of those things will be turned into fuel for fire. They won't be needed anymore. Where there was distress and anguish, now there will be peace. And so what is this light? Look at verse 6. For unto us a child is born, and to us a son is given. And so this this light that's going to shine isn't a what, it's a who. Now, last week when we were looking at Isaiah 8, we saw this prophecy, and, and we saw this partial fulfillment, right? We, we saw Isaiah had a child, and that child could have been named Emmanuel if, I, if Ahaz would have obeyed the Lord, but instead that child was named quick to plunder and swift to spoil. And so there was this partial fulfillment, and then we saw the ultimate fulfillment in Jesus. We're going to see the same thing today. We're going to see a partial fulfillment, and then we're going to see the ultimate fulfillment in Jesus. And you know, I love this. So now turn with me to Luke chapter 2. And we're going to see the partial fulfillment and the ultimate fulfillment. Right? We're going to be in verse 8. So chapter 2, verse 8. And, and this will sound familiar to you if you watch the Charlie Brown Christmas special every year. Uh, this is the part where Linus gets up and, and quotes Luke chapter 2. Do you know the reason that Charles Schultz did this? I find it amazing. He, he wrote that cartoon and animated that cartoon because at the time, the only stuff that kids were really watching was about materialism in Christmas. And Charles Schultz said, somebody needs to tell the story of Christmas. Somebody needs to tell the true story. And he had Linus stand up and tell the true story of Christmas. And so this may sound familiar to you, but what I want you to see as we go through this, is this partial fulfillment of what Isaiah said all the way back in Isaiah chapter 9. Hundreds of years before these shepherds were on a hillside, a hillside God painted the picture of what was going to happen. And then he told them what the ultimate fulfillment is going to be. So Luke chapter 2 verse 8 says this. It says, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by what? By night. Now, when the shepherds were out in the fields, it wasn't like today. They didn't have street lights guiding them. They were in darkness keeping the shepherds in the fields at night. Shepherds should have been in a pen. They should have been in a gate, but they were still there to keep the, the, the wild animals away and to protect the sheep. They probably had a campfire, but outside of the light of that campfire was complete darkness. Now remember, Isaiah said, in the darkness, a light will shine, right? And so, so, so these shepherds, 
the nation of Israel. What's happened history-wise, Israel was deported and captured, then Judah was deported and captured, so the whole nation of Israel was in a foreign land, and then they were able to come back and, and, and re, uh, reoccupy their homeland, so they came back to the nation of Israel, they built a temple, uh, they instituted worship again, and it stayed that way for a few hundred years, and so the nation of Israel was back in their homeland at this point where the shepherds were there, they're, 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 they're um, in uh, right outside of Bethlehem, but they're still under the occupancy of a foreign government. Rome is ruling over Israel. Israel isn't ruling over themselves. They're still in the midst of a spiritual darkness. So much darkness is going on that when the Messiah does show up, many of the religious leaders didn't even recognize him as their Savior and Messiah. And so there's still this, this darkness in the land of Israel. And so in this darkness, partial fulfillment, kind of what Isaiah was talking about, these shepherds are sitting in darkness. And guess what happens in their darkness? Look at verse 9. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord did what around them? Shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. Why? Because when you're sitting in darkness and a light from heaven shines down on you and an angel shows up, you get afraid, right? They are in darkness and a light shines on them. This is exactly what Isaiah said was going to happen. All the way back in Isaiah chapter 9, that in darkness a light has shone on them. But the shepherds aren't the fulfillment. There's a bigger fulfillment. Look at what the angels say, because they point to the light that is shining in the darkness. It says in verse 10, And an angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. So the angels show up, and just like Isaiah said, Isaiah said, For to us a child is born, a son is given, and the angel said, I've got really good news for you. Today's the day. The child is born. And who is it? For unto you is born this day in the city of, in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The angels are telling these shepherds in the midst of their darkness that the Savior has come, the Messiah that the nation has been waiting for, the light to shine in the darkness for the nation of Israel is here. And so who is this light that is coming? Who is this baby that's being born? Who is the one who will bring peace like Isaiah talked about where, where, where armor won't be needed anymore, that in his wake will be this peace that eliminates darkness? The angels say, it is Christ the Lord. He is Jesus. He is the one who deals with slavery, but not just to a government. But he is the one that deals with slavery to sin. And he is the one that was sent not just to set the nation of Israel free from their darkness, but to set all of us free from our darkness. He's the one whose light shines in any darkness. And so now let me blow your mind just a little bit because Isaiah 
when he heard God speak this to him, and then when he spoke it to the people as God spoke it to him, remember he talked about this future time of stress, of doom and gloom, where the solution had already been given, where that stress had already been provided for, this future stress, but the solution of it was anchored in the past. That this child, the one that, that the angels declared, the one that Linus talked about in the, in, the, in the Charlie Brown special, the one that if you keep reading will be assigned to the people because he'll be wrapped in swaddling clothes and, and he will be lying in a manger. That this solution to this stress, this solution to this darkness, this solution isn't a brand new solution. It's actually a very old solution. John Piper said it this way, at least he was the first one I heard articulated this way. He said this, that Jesus was always God's plan A. That we think that when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, that when God created this garden and created this place to, for Adam and Eve to have this, this complete uh, unity with him, that when they sinned and, and sin entered the world and that unity was broken, we can think that God was like, oh no, now what are we going to do? But in reality, Jesus was always God's solution. Right? I was talking to a, a, a woman who goes to church here, and we were talking about this. And she said, you know, I almost pictured like this image of, 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 of Adam and Eve sinning, and, and, and God the Father, and God the Son, God the Holy Spirit just kind of standing there. And when they sinned, they pulled up their sleeves, and they said, now it's time. Right? Jesus has always been the solution. And so God could speak of this future stress with an ancient solution because Jesus has always been the solution. That this baby born in a manger is a baby that was talked about from the very beginning. And just so you know that I'm not making this up, I want to tell you what happened in Genesis 3.15. Right? So you have the garden, you have creation, you have Adam and Eve, you have, you have Eve taking a bite of the fruit that she wasn't supposed to, and you have Adam sitting there in complete silence knowing that what she was doing is what God said not to do. And so both of them sinned. And when that happened, it created this division between God and man. It created this gap that only Jesus could fill, only God could fill. And so God shows up in the midst of that and, and, and explains to them what the consequences are for what they've done. And, and he looks at the woman and tells her the consequences. He looks at the man and tells him the consequences. And then God looks at the serpent. The one who tempted them. The, the, he looked at Satan. Because in, 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 the, in, the, in, in Genesis 1 and 2, like, like you see this embodiment of Satan in this, in this serpent. Because he's, he's drawing humanity away from the goodness of God. And, and, and God looks into the eyes of that serpent. He looks into the eyes of Satan. The one who brings darkness. The one who brings doom and gloom. And he says this to, this, to the serpent. He says in Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman. In other words, listen, the, 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 the humans that you just drew to your side, they won't be there for very long. As a matter of fact, you think you separated them from me? I'm going to show you how they are actually separated from you. Because I'm going to put something between you and them. He says, between your offspring and hers. And this is what this something is going to do. God says it's not a thought. It's not a political argument. He says it is a personal he. And he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. In other words, 
Satan, one day there is coming an answer to this solution that I have already laid out. And it is the plan. And the plan is this thing that you've done, this thing that you've tempted them to do, there's already a solution to it. And that solution is going to crush you. And you're going to hurt him, but he is going to crush you. And so from the very beginning, Jesus is the plan. That Jesus, theologians call this the, the proto-evangelium in Genesis 3.15. Proto means first. Evangelium means evangelism. It means good news. It means gospel. That, that this is the first whisper of the good news of the gospel. The first whisper, the fact that Jesus is the plan, that Jesus will crush the head of Satan and Satan will hurt Jesus. And the cross was the display of that, that Satan's defeat was visible for all to see. And so is the pain that Jesus endured. And then the resurrection of Jesus was the the final blow. The ultimate blow, taking away the power and the penalty of sin. It was the final blow crushing the head of Satan. And so you see, God can look at this future stress coming uh, to Israel, this future stress in your life, this current stress in your life, and he can say, listen, there is an ancient solution all the way back in Genesis 3.15, and his name is Jesus. Because the solution has always been Jesus. And so to you, let's, let's talk darkness for just a minute. Right, and I want to ask you a very personal question for you to consider. Where in your life, where in your soul, where in your heart, where in what you do in your life is darkness? Where is there sin in your life? And, and here's what I mean by that. What keeps you enslaved? Where do you need freedom? Now, it's not a foreign government like it was Israel. Paul, a writer in the New Testament, said this about darkness that he struggled with in his own soul. He said, he said I do what I don't want to do, and I don't do what I do want to do. That's what it feels like. That's what it looks like. That is where you are enslaved. The things that you do that you don't want to do or the things that you don't do that you do want to do. That is where your darkness resides. And now here's something I, I want all of us to consider. And it rhymes, so that's fun because this is kind of dark. Right? And it rhymes like this. It says, it says, stress hides where darkness resides. And so, so here's what I want us to consider. That those dark places in our souls, those dark places in our, in our feelings, those dark places in our in our hearts and our souls, that those dark places are the places where we can experience the most stress. For example, finances. It's the holidays, right? Finances, do they have you stressed out? Could it be that, that instead of contentment, you're trying to keep up with someone else's expectations of what your Christmas should look like? of what presents you should be bringing with you? Holidays got you stressed out? Let me ask you this. Are are, are you too busy to actually rest and find joy? Family relationships have you stressed out? Like, is like conflict lurking behind the Christmas tree at somebody's house? Could it be, and just kind of play with me for a moment here, 
Could it be that your stress is actually linked to your sin? If that's true, now if I'm completely wrong, then sorry for wasting your time, but if it's true that some, if not all of the stress you're experiencing is linked to your sin, then I have got some very good news for you. And that good news is that if your stress is linked to your sin, that your stress can be dealt with because God has already dealt with the power and penalty of that sin in Jesus. That the power and penalty of that sin has been dealt with, and you don't have to deal with it anymore. This means that the stress of your today has a darkness that only the light of Jesus can deal with. A better calendar next year isn't going to help. I mean, it may help, but it's not going to deal with it right? Can I share with you a very simple prayer that I pray in those dark moments in my life and and, and when those dark places have created stress for me? And it's a prayer that I invite you to pray. And it's very simple. It's Jesus, shine your light on this. Now, let me tell you what happens when you say that prayer before you go off and do it. I want you to be fully informed, right? Because here's what I hope happens sometimes, and it has yet to happen, and it's incredibly frustrating. I'm a relational person. A lot of my stress revolves around relationships. When I say this, I expect him to shine a light on them, right? And I want him to tell me what they're doing wrong. Annoyingly, Jesus hasn't done that yet, right? He shows me my sin. Do you know why? Because I'm the only one that can deal with my sin. I can't deal with their sin. It's me and Jesus dealing with my sin. It's got to be them and Jesus dealing with theirs. And when I say this prayer, Jesus, shine your light on this, sometimes, sometimes he speaks words of encouragement. Like, like even this morning I did. I, I've been gone this week, and so I've got a ton of emails that have stacked up uh, that I opened this morning and looked at. Big mistake. And I got stressed. And, and, and I did. I said, Jesus, shine your light on this. Why am I stressed out about this? And it was a word of encouragement. Like it was just a, like a, turn it off, deal with this later, you'll be fine. That's sweet. I love those. Oftentimes, though, when I say this prayer, God speaks to that darkness with his light. And, and, and he shows me where my thinking, where my feelings, where my insecurities where they're actually rooted in my sin. And, 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 and you know why Jesus does that? Because church, we need to hear this. Jesus isn't afraid of my sin because he's already dealt with it. He knows the power and penalty of that sin doesn't exist anymore. And so he's not afraid to point out my sin because he knows he's already taken away its power. He shows me my sin because what he wants me to do is to confess it as sin, to see it the way he does, and then to turn away from it, to turn away from it and to turn to him. That's what repentance is. And so church, what are you stressed out about this season? Let me show you why we can take it to Jesus because there is this particular title given to this son who's born back in Isaiah chapter 9. That is our second truth for the Christmas season. Look at Isaiah 9, chapter 9, verse 6. It says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be on his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of 
peace. We see this last title, the son who was born, is Prince of Peace. Now, I'll say it with me, Prince of Peace. Y'all, this is our truth for this Christmas season, is that Jesus is my peace. He gives you peace with God. And if you don't know that peace with God and, and you think a relationship with God is about do's and don'ts and about ups and downs and, 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 and following rules, let me tell you that's not about what Christianity is about. Christianity is about a relationship with Jesus who gives you peace with God. And if you haven't surrendered your life to him to follow him, let today be the day that you do that because there is peace there that you have never experienced before. But for those of us who have said yes to Jesus already, we too have this established relationship with the God of peace that can't be taken away. You didn't do anything to earn it. Jesus did it. You can't do anything to lose it. It is God's. And his desire for you is to experience this peace in every area of your life relying on him, which means, church, I'm going to ask you some questions, and I need you to respond, right? This is the response part of the message, right? So, so church, does this mean that money is your peace? No. Is family your peace? No. Are friends your peace? No. Y'all, is the perfect Christmas present your peace? Is going to every party your peace? Is going to any party your peace? Church, is Jesus your peace? See, here's what we can do. When we get stressed, ask Jesus to shine his light on your thinking, on your feelings, on your insecurity, on your beliefs. Ask him to shine his light on that darkness that is in you. Because when his light shines, you can confess, you can repent, and you can follow. Now this week, here's what I would love for you to do as your pastor, right? When you get stressed, because here's what I've done. Y'all are not going to like me for this. Um, as your pastor, I, I am praying for you this week to experience stress, right? I know the, the great thing to do would be pray for you to have peace, but then you can't apply this, right? Right? I want you to actually experience stress, and I want you to ask Jesus to shine his light on that stress. And I want you to share with me what he shows you. Email me. It's fred at fellowshipashville.com, and I want to cheer you on. I want to pray for you, and I want to point you to the one who can actually enter that darkness with you and show you the light and show you the way through it. Church, I love you, and I love being the church with you. And here's what I hope for us. Let's let Jesus shine his light on us together so that this holiday season, we hold to the fact that Jesus is our peace. And we can actually experience less stress this year than we did last year. Let's pray. Jesus, you are our peace. You are our hope. You are our encouragement. May we believe it and may we walk in it. And Jesus, I do pray that you would do what only you could do and you would shine your light in those dark places of our souls. That we would invite you to do that and you being the gracious, kind, and merciful God that you are would do that in a way that, that only you do where it is about love and not about judgment. 
For it is about an invitation, not condemnation, and that we would give you our confession and we would give you our repentance. And Father, and, and that you would give us a peace that surpasses all understanding that would guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.